Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Chris Stashew. I'm Mike White. And this is Father Malone. And we are the hosts of Dreams for Sale, a once-a-month look at the Twilight Zone 1985, otherwise known as the only version of the Twilight Zone worth revisiting. Looking at you, Twilight Zone 2019-2020, on this episode we're taking a look at the second episode of the second season of Twilight Zone 1985. That episode is broken into, once again, two segments, What Are Friends For?, an aqua vita. For Alex and Jeff Mattingly, there will always be one special friend. One who loved them both enough to vanish when the time was right. But after all, that's what friends are for. Especially a friend from the Twilight Zone. So What Are Friends For? is directed by Gus Draconis. It is written by J. Michael Straczynski. And it stars Tom Skerritt, Fred Savage, and Lucas Haas. Tom Skerritt and Fred Savage are father and son who go to a remote cabin in the woods and there Fred Savage meets a little boy played by Lucas Haas, who is clearly an imaginary friend. Both him and his father had discuss. I'm just kidding. Uh, What did you think, Father Malone? I think this episode played to all of J. Michael Straczynski's uh, weakest uh, (laughs) parts of his writing. Um, We, you know, we just watched in our previous episode, uh, an episode that, uh, was very deftly handled as far as uh, emotional. Uh, this is, for me, 100% the maudlin uh, camp that we sometimes, unfortunately, get from the Twilight Zone. Um, and aside of how poorly that's handled, um, just the basic story with this friend, I mean, this an imaginary friend who the father also had an imaginary friend, but as it turns out, it's just the thing from the forest that likes to make friends with children. I don't know. This one was real bad for me. It's like a little sprite, like a little dryad that comes out and says, oh, I'm your friend, <laughs> and I will murder you, I guess, maybe? I was about to say, it's a sprite yeah, it could, until it turns be. into a monster that's like, thank you for being my friend. <laughs> Don't look at me too closely. I'm just a hovering sphere made up of the souls of the humans I've already killed. Goodbye now. Like, 
what the fuck is this? What is this supposed to be? It's a straight up ghost in the middle of the woods that you're talking to. Yeah, I couldn't get if it was trying to punish Fred Savage because Tom Skerritt like fucked him over or what was going on. That's what I was thinking, but it I, wasn't that clear to me. Also, Fred Savage's character is a dick. He is a dick. He's, like, He's a little weasel. fights with everyone. Pushing little girls over? Like, what? Yeah. What? Well, and that's the thing. I was like, oh, well, is this spirit supposed to be, like, um, you know, uh, inside of him, possessing him, and now he's being an asshole? But I just think he's an asshole regardless. You don't think that the optics of a small child being possessed by an older spirit is not a good idea for a show? It would have made more sense. (laughs) It probably would have just been grandma, to be fair. I mean... It's it's a weird it's a weird segment because it mixes some of the stuff we saw in the first season, like Little Boy Lost, mm-hmm. like that maudlin saccharine shit that the show just does so well and so just like it does it with such like fervor. It's like look at what we're doing, and it's like oh this again, and then, but it also has that like really weird tone of um, chameleon. Where it's like the reason for why this thing is here is less clear in this than it is in Chameleon, but it feels the same way. It's like this thing is just here and we don't know why, but at least in Chameleon it's explained somewhat more than yeah, this. Yeah, they, they could have gone for that in this, but in, instead they chose to go for nothing at all. Right. Because the, 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 if there's a threat in the episode, it's never really clear. I mean, we, it, it, you know, when he gets trapped in the thing, uh, the the mud fort, quote unquote, like, was he actually trying to harm him? I don't think so. Uh, so, you know, we just get this random, I don't, I don't know. I'm just trying to wrap my head around what they were trying to say. And I, I can't quite figure it out. <laughs> but like, what they're trying to say is you need to grow up from your imaginary friends and become an adult and stop using your imagination and become oil for the cog that is the machine that is capitalism <laughs> isn't that did you guys miss it that's, or was no, like that's the message okay i if, because if that's the message it was going for which it wasn't that's the message that i received at the end which is like you're not allowed to use your imagination or have imaginary friends so fuck yourself and like i appreciate that like yeah you know tom scarrett and fred savage are father and son but to your point father malone why doesn't tom scarrett just take his kid and drown him he's being such an he's like unrealistically an asshole where he's written that way because he's a character in a show not because an actual human being would act that way and it really irks me when it irks me when shit does that because it irks me because it's not real and you don't have to resort to outlandish tropey behavior to try to justify why a character is acting like an ass yeah, I, I, I was hoping that there was an outside influence on him because he was being so despicable that, I you know, there's no way I'm going to root for him in any way, shape or form. And, it, you know, we're never given that. It's just turns out that he was a little cocksucker all along. And this thing is just trying to be friends with everybody. And, and I don't even understand the closing narration because it says there will always be one special friend, one who loved them both enough to vanish when the time is right. But after all, that's what friends are for. Except he didn't vanish. He showed himself to Tom Skerritt five minutes into the episode segment. <laughs> yeah. And so what are you because uh, it's clearly not gone. It's just going to come back. Oh, yeah. Some other hapless kid is going to come onto this thing, and then all of a sudden, or maybe he's got other imaginary, you know, he's an imaginary friend to other people that live around the forest. But yeah, I feel like this malevolent spirit is still there. And it should have been malevolent. It actually should have been played 
as a malevolent spirit because then I think this episode would have had some legs. It would have had this idea that you do need to turn your back on this thing because it is evil. And instead it's like, no, you're turning your back on it because fuck having an imagination. Yeah, because they never give us any, uh, I mean, other than Fred Savage being an asshole, they don't give us uh, like a character's um, like faults that have occurred to them because of their association with this character. Like Tom Skerritt obviously like lived his life and, you know, he's got a kid and he's, you know, seems to be doing okay. And having him having to renounce this imaginary friend just doesn't make any sense. Cause it seems like the imaginary friend has no influence on him at all. Other than when he's at that cabin. It's, it is everything that the last segment, a saucer of loneliness wasn't. It is saccharine. It is completely muddle-headed when it comes to the the tone and the, I guess, the the moral of the story. I mean, again, the, the morality of this story is so twisted that I don't understand what it was going for. It's a twist. It's a twisted morality story. Because, again, if you're trying to tell us that, like, it's, it's okay to get rid of your imaginary friends, while I would agree to some extent, what is the point of telling that story? Father Malone, are you a uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000 fan? Oh, yeah. Uh, um, Joel, though. Yes. Oh, definitely. <laughs> okay. I, I didn't realize that Gus Traconis, who directed this, also directed Side Hackers. Oh, my God. <laughs> Side hacking. It's the way to go. Exactly. Um, that's hilarious. Well, um, you know. I guess not a great director, but then yeah. uh, it, the the the, uh, the 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 script was the, the the real culprit here because everyone on screen obviously were pretty talented, um, and so it's not a it's not a question of them failing the materials; the material failed them. Um, like you said, Chris, just another like dip into the maudlin well that Twilight Zone likes to do sometimes with, I don't know, writers working out their father-son relationships or something, and they uh-huh. slap a semi-supernatural bent on it, and then we can tell us the same melodrama we've been fed over and over again in every other genre. Um, you yeah, know what I was one, really oof. glad it wasn't? I was really glad that it wasn't a story where he was meeting a previous version of his father, like a younger version of his father. Oh, because like, yeah. that, like honest to God, like that's what I thought it was going for. And while I say, I'm glad it didn't do that. There's also part of me that's like, what if it had? Like, would it would it have been any worse than this? Well, I mean, Probably not. we saw One Life Furnished in Early Poverty, which is kind of like that. But that was much better than this one was. I honestly think, like, if J. Michael Straczynski is trying to work through some sort of something, because it feels like it's a little bit of a work through, like I'm working through something while creating this script. Mm, I felt like, totally. I, th- I would feel like the character of Mike, played by Lucas Haas, it being his father, would have been a much more interesting story to begin with. Yeah. I something. was thinking that Lucas Haas was eventually going to, like, take over Fred Savage's place like try to you know do almost like a changeling kind of thing to him also would have been better than what we got Mm -hmm. totally or uh, even if it had just been like if they had jettisoned the uh fred savage character and just had this man who's like you know going through divorce and he's broken and he goes back to his like childhood whatever and meets his childhood friend like they could have mined that for something uh no matter what the uh eventual like plot contrivances would have come up with the at the end I don't know. This seemed to have no point of view while thinking it's being deep about, I don't know, father-son interactions and imaginary friends. I, I, oof, I don't know. Well, the cat's in the cradle, Mike. 
and the silver spoon. That's <laughs> true. When you're coming home, Daddy, I don't know when, but you'll have an imaginary friend to play with. And then he'll try to murder you, or not, or who knows, or, not. or who cares. Maybe. Something. Yeah. Ask again later. This episode is the fucking magic eight ball of episodes. It doesn't know what it wants to be, but ask again later and you'll get a different answer. My sources say and no. <laughs> yeah, and yet right. it, it's, it's still better than Little Boy Lost. Because <laughs> it isn't actively offensive. That's true. Right. It's not saying that uh, you should have a child and abortion is not the answer. That's true. Correct. So let's move on to another episode with a twisted moral compass. Aquavita. There is indeed a fountain of youth, but not the one Ponce de Leon dreamed of. The true fountain of youth lies in the human heart, and its healing properties are without price. An oasis flowing ever fresh from the headwaters of the Twilight Zone. So Aquavita is directed by Paul Tucker. Written by Paul Chitlick and Jeremy Bertrand Finch, it stars Mimi Kennedy as a woman who is obsessed with her good looks, is worried it might lose her her job, and so she goes and finds a water called Aquavita, which means life water, that's delivered by none other than Shooter McGavin himself, Christopher McDonald. What did you think of this segment, Mike? Well, at the time that this came out, in 1986, I think that it was much more relevant than it is right now, though it probably is more relevant. It's probably still relevant, but I don't think that we talk about it as much these days. It was when a lot of women were getting fired for looking old on television and especially news anchors. And so I see this having like, okay, kind of a good message at first. And then it's like this kind of monkey paw type-ish type thing. I'm also thinking of Death Becomes Her as I'm watching this. I'm thinking of a lot of things that are actually better than this episode as I watched it. It was so predictable. Um, I really had hoped that Christopher McDonald was given more to do because I like him so much. And our main characters, uh, especially Mimi Kennedy, it's like, I just don't care about you at all. So I was just kind of nonplussed by this whole episode. Um, I'm going to second that. Uh, it, it was, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. Yeah, th- th- it was timely back in 86 uh, as far as – and the, the sort of message of people like chasing their youth is obviously uh, 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 eternal on its own. Like you said, like I, I could not help but think death becomes her the entire time I was watching the episode. Um, I think Christopher McDonald was really good. He'll always be goose to me, by the way. Um, uh and we needed maybe more of him in it uh, as a threat because, as you said, the lead characters that we have here, like, usually in a Twilight Zone episode, you don't get enough time if it's, like, heavily plotted to get a character to be endearing to you. And I just looked at these people as, like, the worst kind of yuppies yeah. from that time period. And just, like, you know, everything they're doing is kind of gross as far as I can tell. So, like, it was hard for me to relate to her like uh, trouble with the aqua vita, like it, it ages you sort of prematurely. It's like, I kind of felt like, yeah, that's what you deserve. Like this to me was more of a tales from the crypt than a, uh, than a twilight zone. As far as uh, that goes, um, just wait, wait, you're like saying her. it's only sin deep, but just with a positive spin at the end. No, yeah, <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. And that was from a comic from what? 1954. Right. Christopher McDonald will always be tappy Tibbins to me, by the way. 
But yeah, I wish that he was more of the devil or something, or to also show the economic hardships, because there's the whole thing of like this, you know, first one's free, just like every other drug dealer type of thing. And then the next one is what, $10,000 and her friend is asking for money. And I'm just like, okay, yeah, that's a lot of, that's a lot of money in 2021. That's going to be a lot more money in 1986. So let's see that this is ruining her life, that she's now destitute rather than I'm old as well as being destitute. Let's, let's get a little bit more stakes involved here. Yes, yeah, too much time with these other characters. Yeah. Uh, since you guys all mentioned your favorite Christopher McDonald role, as much as I do like him as Shooter McGavin, he is uh, he's fantastic in dirty work where he essentially plays the same character. But I know that that movie has Norm McDonald in it. Your mileage will vary with Norm McDonald, so... That aside, agree completely. Uh, why not give anything other than what's going on with the other characters more time? Uh-huh. The other characters are completely useless. Barbara Horan as Shauna, who is the, like, evil character, question mark, who is just, like, managing to continue to pay for this stuff forever, this Aquavita, like, she pushes her friend to do it, and then her friend becomes old. Like you said, Father Malone, it is kind of fitting punishment, but at the same time, like, What's the point of this segment again? That society sucks and you have to be young to get a job? I did like the ending. The ending's good, like but the ending just doesn't make sense. Getting old for this to be segment. with her. Yeah, yeah, that was nice. Oh, no, I, I, I'm not saying it redeems the episode in any way. Oh, no, no. I'm just, I'm just saying it doesn't make any sense because, like, why? Like, it, it just. These characters deserve to be miserable. Yeah, and, you know, they're. There could have been plenty of time to develop these people as likable and relatable. Like you said, Mike, like the, the, they, they touch on the financial thing, but it doesn't really affect her at all. The only thing that affects her is that she sort of grows old. Um, but like, you know, we spend time with this, they, these girls go to his fucking photo studio and there's an entire segment of that. Like, the, you know, this party scene, like all this extraneous stuff when we're really just dealing with two people and uh, the, her struggle with with addiction and, you know, his sort of support of her. And they just sort of gussied it up with all this other stuff that only made me dislike everyone involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I didn't understand it. I mean, I was I was really just rooting for Christopher McDonald to turn them all into old people. You know, I, I didn't understand the point. It just it's another segment of this show similarly to the last segment where what are you trying to say what focus up twilight zone yeah yeah or cut down the running time to to help focus this thing because the closing narration is the true fountain of youth lies in the human heart and its healing properties are without price oh what what well that's that's the husband right i mean yeah but like but the husband is not a character in the episode he does right. nothing he gets two he gets two opportunities to talk to the main character once at the beginning once at the end and i think they share like barely any words in between like okay he's not even the focus of the episode so do you guys think had they uh, as you said mike like really edited this thing down so we just got brief bits of their lives like we could have been on their side either we're on their side or we i mean it, it could have, should have, maybe been a, like you're saying, a Tales from the Crypt, and they just get fucked over at the end. I mean, I thought the ending was kind of sweet. Okay, yeah, he's going to be old to be with his wife, and he doesn't care. Okay, that's great, but you know what? Men don't have the same problems that women do when it comes to her and her job. Like, she is unable to work in the way that she is. So, 
I, it didn't. It so never added up to me. It needed a shorter running time and a gender swap. Yes. Then it could have worked. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, it, it it felt like it felt to me like low hanging fruit. It felt to me like ah, yeah, of course that's where you were going. I don't know. Like it's just disappointing to me that like this is the. This is the kind of statement you want to put forward from the show about like aging and aging gracefully. And it's like, that is like, you don't even touch on it. I do think it's the kind of episode that should be shown to people who did not grow up in the 80s, who have an impression of what the 80s are. Like, they should know this side of the 80s, because, you know, when I think back, unfortunately, this is what dominates my mind. And uh, I just think it's gross. <laughs> you mean it's not just all I mean, we all want pads and fanny packs like Wonder Woman 1984? Yeah, it's all... Rubik's cubes and neon fucking shirts. Like, no, sorry, there were these people. Mm-hmm. What was this even entertaining? Is no. the real question. Like, is this a piece of entertainment worth watching? I don't feel like it. Are you not entertained? <clears throat> not in the slightest. <laughs> and that's no. and that like ultimately for me that is the final line here. Was this even entertaining? And. Because it has no purpose at the end. It doesn't really say anything. The two characters don't learn a lesson. They're effectively living out their lives together, happy. Yeah, they look older. But still, by the way, they still look good for quote-unquote old people. Um, I don't understand what the point of this was. It's just like the last segment. What was the point? Because it wasn't entertaining. So what was the point? Yeah, and, and, you know, like other episodes like these, uh, frustrating because you can tell that the writer came in with a viewpoint uh, and then decided, I'm going to write my way out of that and, uh, and, and obfuscate it to the point where it just becomes a non-issue. And that's a drag. But then I guess writers shouldn't sit down with a point in mind, right? Because <laughs> we get this. Or when you're done writing your script, turn around, read it and go, did I make my point? It's no worse than some of the maudlin episodes of the the, the original Twilight Zone. I mean, the, you go back and watch that series. There are plenty of uh, of terrible episodes, like on par with this one. But when you get the saucer of loneliness, your expectations get pretty goddamn high for them to just kind of sort of give a, a shrug of an episode like this one. Well, and again, we know that the show can handle these kind of touchy issues a little bit more deftly than they do in this segment. And that's, I think, probably the biggest issue is we know that they can handle them well. It's a shame that they don't. It's a damn shame. Damn shame. I mean, is it? <laughs> is it, though? It seems like more of a damn shame that Christopher McDonald's given nothing to do. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, well, I guess he, I could say that at least you get to see Chris McDonald for a little while, so... That's true. That's a positive? For the <laughs> More episode. than nothing. Christian McDonald. And then, you know, again, I, I did like the uh, the idea of a spouse sort of uh, sacrificing what they, you know, for their for their significant other. That that gets me. But overall, stop doing these, Twilight Zone. Please. Yeah. Can we get some aliens in here? I would like anything. Anything but this. Anything but these, like, twisted morality plays that don't matter. That the story that they yeah. tell at the end is just, like, eye-rollingly obvious, and I'm just like, okay, who cares? <laughs> so in the next episode of Dreams for Sale, we're going to be taking a look at the third episode of Season 2. That episode is once again broken into two segments, The Storyteller and Night Song. One of those is written by friend of the show, Rockney S. O'Bannon. So there's hoping that... Fingers crossed. <laughs> Until then, where can people find you, Father Malone? 
You can check me out at fathermalone.com. It's a link to my podcast, Dark Destinations, a radio drama travelogue that takes listeners to fictional towns. You can also hear me over on Chronicles from the Crypt, the Twilight Zone, not Twilight, this is the Twilight Zone 85 podcast, the, uh, the, uh, the show that Chris and I do about HBO's Tales from the Crypt television series. What about you, Mike White? Well, you can find me over at the Projection Booth Podcast, which is available at projectionboothpodcast.com. And as for me, you can find me on Twitter at Christmas Claus, and that's where I post everything that I work on, including all the other podcasts, along with the ones that they mentioned. You can find this podcast on Twitter at Twilight Zone 85 and on the internet at twilightzone85.com. We're on all podcatchers, both iOS and Android. Give us a good review or a review. It doesn't matter if it's good or bad. Let us know what you think. Big thanks as always to Roxy Drive and Neutron Dreams for the music for the episode, and we'll catch you on the next one. <laughs>